0: Today's Intern Whisperer Employer Tip of the Week is one way to make your training more inclusive is let your trainees, the people in your company, take the lead every now and then. Ask each learner to talk and share their knowledge. A bit about their personal lives will boost cooperation and inclusion. To do this, you can use short presentations. For example, in each training session or at your team meetings, ask another team member to do some research and talk for a bit. Five minutes about whatever that day's topic is. You can do this at stand-up meetings. You can also let somebody else lead the meeting. This way you simultaneously encourage independent learning and socialization. We are welcoming John Crossman to the Interim Whisper, and he is the founder of Crossmark Services. He is also the founder of a podcast that we're going to talk about a little bit later in another company. Crossman, wait a minute, career builders. So, all of this is what's coming up here. I want to just say, welcome, John, to the show. I'm very excited. Thank you. I wanted to be here with you. Yeah. Well, um, I had selected you to be a guest because before the show started, it was all because I, I've been following you a lot on social media. It's called and I stalking.
1: Could... by the Yeah. Way. That's what yeah. They
0: call that. <laughs> it is. It is, but you know, stealth mode, but not really. <laughs> I like, and I, I would make comments and things like that, but, uh, visible stalking online, I guess it's accepted. It's, okay. now.
1: it's totally cool. Right. It's welcome. Yeah. yeah.
0: So, you're over here in the same space as myself, um, careers, skills, all of these wonderful things. and that's one of the reasons why I invited you on the show. So let's kick it off with tell us five words that describe you and why.
1: Okay. um so my five words would be loving, caring, vulnerable, generous, and overwhelming. And by the way, it's funny, um I, I'd usually lead with overwhelming because, whenever I'm interviewing somebody or trying to like work with somebody that that's, that comes up common, like as a criticism of me, just because, you know, you're the same way, you know, when you're an entrepreneur and you have lots of ideas, like a traditional CEO type, you know, you don't see yourself as overwhelming. You see yourself as passionate, but to a lot of people, you know, Mm -hmm. that's
0: the positive word they use to describe it. right? Right.
1: So I've had to learn to be discerning and pull back. And I tend to want to share everything with everybody part because I'm trying to be a vulnerable person and I'm yeah. trying to be a generous person, but I've had to learn to kind of pull that back a little bit. So as to not oh, overwhelm people unnecessarily.
0: Mm-hmm. I get it. Um, I think that passionately productive is one of the words that I've used also to describe myself because it's like, yeah, there's a lot that we're trying to, to do in this world where we leave a mark. Right. 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 Yeah. Well, you know, I, it's funny you should say that
1: because um, I had a family member when I were talking about this recently, and they were saying that their spouse's family members tend to like be kind of like normal people, and they all get along really well. And they were talking about like my our family about how we have some high achievers, but we don't always get along. And I called the person back a little later. I said, you know, I was thinking about that. That sometimes anger gets a bad rap. You know, like sometimes people just want to shove. Anger wrong. Well, you know, anger a lot of times comes out of passion. Mm-hmm. It comes out of caring. Mm-hmm you know, if we're angry about, um, you know, human trafficking and we're so Mm. angry, we're going to, we're going to get stopped that. Right. I mean, Mm -hmm. a lot of great movements have been based in passion. They come across as anger, but you know, anger is not always a bad word. I think it can be a very good word because it it can help change, um, you know, and stop injustices.
0: Mm -hmm. I like the fact that you're, well, you see anger. A lot of people might see it as something that's a negative word. And for the most part, it does evoke that type of, Um, thoughts for sure. But anger in families doesn't necessarily mean that it's bad. It can be. That's just how the family communicates. True. And it could be loud voices. It could be things where they just want to feel like their voice is being heard, but it doesn't mean that they don't get along. Right. That's right. That's right. I had a grandmother and my mom and I could go outside. uh, It was always whatever one person would say, the other one would say the opposite. And I could go, Oh, wow, what a beautiful day. And my grandmother might look at it and go, there's an awful lot of clouds up there. I don't know, doesn't look so great. But it was just how we would have conversation. It took me a while to figure that out. So I think that the reason why maybe it's not so much anger, I'm, not your family so i don't know right but it could be that's how the conversations tend to go is because it's uh oppositional yeah
1: i think that's true i also like i think that if you break that down there's there's cultural issues like there's different ways people communicate but there's also i think a deeper thing is sometimes it's wounding you know sometimes oh, yeah. people are wounded and it, the you're sometimes you're hearing anger and um, it's hard to understand where it's coming from. Sometimes when I'm talking to people, it's like anger is a very surface level emotion mm-hmm. and trying to help people sometimes, particularly in a work environment, sometimes people in a work environment can come across angry, mm-hmm. but if you sort of work through it, maybe what that's really come is fear mm, and then the, always. and the, and the fear could be something really helpful. Mm-hmm. Right. So I recently had an, an attorney who was, in my opinion, coming a little too strong with me. I didn't really like it. But I was really trying to look through it, and what I could see is that they had some fear about some risk they thought that I was taking. And so I kind of was able to work it work it through better. But mm-hmm. those are hard skill sets look. I mean, healthy relationships, um, part of it's having boundaries, right. Mm -hmm. And, and then communicating well and all that stuff's hard, whether it's business or in families.
0: Yeah. And you raise again, a really interesting point of view is that sometimes that anger, it's just a mask. It's hiding what Mm -hmm. you said is fear. And I would totally agree with you because people don't want to have their, you know, be caught with their pants down, so to speak. Mm -hmm. They want to be able to look like they are intelligent or whatever it is that they, they're trying to live up to in mm-hmm. their own head right yeah yeah for, for sure. sure this is oh yeah but now we have to say uh there's some kind of a saying when two people say the same thing you got to buy somebody I don't, know. A Coke. <laughs> I don't know what that is I don't know <laughs> but anyway <laughs> it was funny we both said the same thing i think we're like minded for sure mm-hmm. um so explain those words i think you covered quite a bit but you had said um passionate so where does that come from?
1: Well, I said, um, I said loving and caring that's mm-hmm. I sort of put those there. And I, I think that really comes out of my faith, you know, mm-hmm. that I really do believe in my faith. And I really do believe in the importance of loving, loving people, mm-hmm. um, you know, some despite everything, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, you know, look, I, I think we're called to love our enemies. I think mm-hmm. we're called to Absolutely. Love, love people that, that can't love us back. And it's interesting. Um, some the other day was telling me that they, they feel like I'm too generous and I was like, well, gosh, maybe I should try the opposite. And I was like, well, that's just not going to work. It just doesn't feel what I call to be. That said, I do have to be thoughtful about uh, expressing my own feelings and mm-hmm. sometimes saying no to people, uh, because what happens is that I've been in situations where I've been generous, 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 and then I just get frustrated. and I cut off a relationship. Mm-hmm. And so I need to be more, more knowledgeable on, the, on my own mind and on the front end, because some people just ask and ask and ask. So. I do desire to be loving and caring and generous, but I can't do everything. I have to say no to stuff for sure. And then the uh, other one was vulnerable. And I just, I I try to lead a lot of times with my feelings and what I'm going through in my own journey. And that's a way to be relatable. Mm -hmm. And you know, one example that would be is I I did a podcast or webinar um, last year, and it was about race and it was myself and three black women. And as I was getting prepared and looking at my notes, I'm like, gosh, this could really come across bad. You know, like right? what's this white guy? And I'm a tiny bit black, but not any you know, people would not acknowledge me that way. So I need to be thoughtful about that. So when we started the interview, one of the women on the panel talked about trauma. And so I leaned in on that. And I said, you know, I do not know what it's like to be a black woman. I do know trauma. I do know I have suffered from clinical depression. I have had anxiety issues. I've been on meds before. I have been through trauma. And so when somebody talks in a, in a language of like they've experiencing something hard and I say, man, me too. And we can connect that whole interview went fantastic, mm-hmm. but it it was my vulnerability mm-hmm. that helped connect it. And I also think that, you know, look, some weirdos want to go talk to college students and tell them about when I did this deal, I made a million bucks. And I guess that's exciting for some students to hear. They want to hear that maybe, mm-hmm. But at the same time, like I think a lot of students, even if they're at a great university and they never to be their whole life, they're scared mm-hmm. and they're worried. And I think to be able to tell them, like, "Hey, I get scared, I get worried too," and these are the tools I use to do my job. Mm-hmm. These are the same tools you can use now. I just think that relatability makes for better teaching.
0: Mm, yes, I totally agree. I think that the ability some people on social media they they share everything on social media. And sometimes I think, you know, you could dial it back just a little okay. bit because I, I question their motives, not because they're sharing, but I question their motives. What is, what is it that they're wanting out of it? Because if it's attention, then that may not be the best outlet for it. Well, you're if right. it's there to educate others, totally support that. Well that you're talking about um, discernment,
1: right? Mm-hmm. That that's just discernment yeah. because you know, there's certain things in my life that I struggle with that um, need to be shared only with my wife or my children or Mm -hmm. core people in my life. There's no, there's no business in that sharing out a public forum. Mm -hmm. There's other things that that's, that's okay. Right. Um, There are some dynamics in my own family issues that I don't share because I know that it could be hurtful to somebody in my family. So I'm not going to share that. Right. And that's discernment. So it's find the right place. And you're right. Some people do way overshare. And then I think you're right. Sometimes they're just trying to get reaction, reaction, reaction. Right. And I don't, you're right. I don't know that that's That's helpful. So context matters and discernment matters.
0: Mm -hmm. We probably have the uh, same faith, but I'll throw a book out there. One of my most favorite top three books is the purpose-driven life. Mm -hmm. The first line, first sentence is, it is not all about you. Mm -hmm. And I adopt that. I put that, cut it out. It's like really big on my vision board. Mm -hmm. And it's something that is my constant reminder of it is not about me. And then I come back and I'll push on it a little bit because I go, but yet it is Mm -hmm. because it is us as an individual that can actually change somebody's day. Absolutely. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Totally agree.
0: Yep. Anyway, I love those five words. And then also how you neatly tied it all together (laughs) into a nice little uh, bow there. So where did you grow up? Um, I don't know if you're from here. uh, But also, where did you go to school? And how did you get to where you are? You and I share something else. We're both serial entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. So you know we are extremely driven people i'm going to guess you were first born in your family
1: no no really I'm, i am i'm the i'm the youngest um, holy cow you're yep. breaking
0: all of those i know i know
1: <laughs> those rules so to understand me is to understand this my father was a pastor and civil rights leader okay so I grew up in a very unique household and which they, denomination a methodist okay and the thing about it um growing up in that environment they've done studies of pastors kids and lawyers kids and doctors kids and consistently Uh, preachers' kids, pastors' kids outperform doctors' Mm -hmm. kids and lawyers' kids. And I think the reason why is that when you grow up in a pastor's household, you grow up in an educated household, right? So Mm -hmm. we grew up in a household that was about reading books and about knowing history and knowing context of things. And you know, that was really valued. The second thing is you grow up in a household that's very purpose-driven, like Rick Warren would say. And you know, when something was happening in the news, you know, we were involved in it. We were not people that sat and watched it. Like we leaned in on it. So that was a big deal. The third thing though, is like, we were working class folks. Mm -hmm. Um, And one way to describe it is when you're a preacher's kid, you're around people of affluence Mm -hmm. and you're in a family of influence that doesn't have affluence. Mm -hmm. And so that can mess you up or it can, it can impact you. And so in a positive way. And so what I see is a lot of times as pastor's kids, you know, they, they, they value education, they have purpose. And then they're like, wait a minute, I can work hard and I can really make, make money. So I would say that, you know, I became a devout capitalist at a very early age. Mm-hmm. You know, I just really wanted to be occupationally where I could work a lot of hours if I want to. And I could get well compensated if I want to. I didn't know growing up um, that I was dyslexic. I didn't find out as well as in my 40s. Mm. But that really, you know, gave a lot of context when I did. I was born in Fort Lauderdale. We moved nine times. I lived all over the state. That's part of being, being a Methodist. And then probably also the reason why the dyslexia wasn't diagnosed all state, a public school system all the Mm -hmm. way through. And then went to, went to Florida State University for uh, my bachelor's degree in real estate, graduated in 93. And I kind of put my nose to the grindstone and worked like a wild man for about 25 straight years. Mm -hmm. So,
0: you know, my family, um, Did not grow up with a faith-based family. Uh, Came to that later in my life. But we moved 21 times. By the time we got here, I was uh, 14 and 21 times. And it was just like a lot of moving. My dad was a uh, contractor Mm -hmm. and in the defense sector. So we moved around. He was also Air Force Guard. So still moved around a lot. So you learn how to make friends. And you're right. Sometimes diagnoses don't show up. Uh, right away. My youngest brother, we believe that he was probably bipolar. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's some things that can slip through the cracks and you don't discover it till later. How did you figure out in your forties that you were dyslexic? So when,
1: um, when I got diagnosed with clinical depression during that season, I had to go to my doctor all the time. And I was very thankful for it. I had the same doctor uh, for like 26 years. It's hard mm-hmm. to believe that 26, the same primary doctor. And so when I would see him every single month or however it was during that season, like one of those times he was like, I think you're dyslexic. And I don't know how he picked up on that, but we were just spending a lot of time together. And then I went online and I took a um, thing, a little test or whatever. and I tested absolutely dyslexic. And it made complete sense. It's like, if you visualize, like if I were to write just my name, John, I I write J-H-N-O. Like that's just Mm. very common. I, I write it out of order. But I will tell you that when I graduated from FSU, I graduated with a 2.9 GPA. Mm-hmm. Here's the deal: I never skipped class. I went to every study hall. I got every tutor I could. I earned that 2.9. Oh yeah, like that was the highest I could possibly get. Mm-hmm. I was ashamed about that for most of my adult life. Isn't that sad? Yeah. Well, I because I oh, my private shame was like I'm stupid. I'm stupid. You know. No. So uh, 20 years after I graduated. Um, I got inducted to the FSU College Business Hall of Fame, and I was the youngest one ever. And fortunately, I'd been diagnosed and so I was able, I, I was able to say at, that, at the induction ceremony, tell that story. And that you know for most of my life, I just would have been so embarrassed for people to know what my GPA was. And now I'm like, this is my story, this is my GPA. And it's not like I didn't make effort. I made huge effort, but mm-hmm. I, d- I don't learn in a traditional way, mm-hmm. right? Um, but that's been good for me. It's been humbling for me, but it's also been uh, a relief to me to know, like, no, I'm not dumb. I just, I learn differently.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's okay. Yeah. And you know what, that's uh, interesting that you raised that because, you know, my life, I had told you before we came on the air, it's been around education And something that, you know, we know that there's auditory learners, that there's visual learners, and there's kinetic, which is all hands-on. But I approach it from more of a multidimensional approach, and I'm pretty sure you're going to be on the same page. There's so many variables. I've worked with the Center for um, Independent Living, but I've also worked with the National Association on Mental Illness in Great Orlando, NAMIGO. And one of the things in, in each of these organizations um, that I learned is it says one in five, when I was working with Namigo at that time, one in five has some type of a mental or emotional disability. And I went, that is a flipping lie it is one in five does not have it because (laughs) the rest of us are not admitting it, Right, you know? So I feel like um, statistically that is probably not accurate. So when you're looking at different people, um, you see the different dimensions, you know, there's dyslexic, there's the whole spectrum of some type of mental or emotional disorders that are in there that impacts how you learn. There are personality types, there is birth order, there is whatever generation you were born into It's not just even those factors. It's so much more than that. Your race, your ethnicity, your gender, everything impacts how you actually learn and absorb because those that were born into millennials, we'll say, and obviously Gen Z, but even, you know, the the Gen X, um, they had video games. And so gamification has become huge and it continues to you know, morph as well as augmented reality and virtual reality and how people learn is still going to change. We're used to, you and I grew up in a time where it was lecture and it was one direction. You know, there wasn't always a lot of group work, anything like that. So when, if you had had those those types of opportunities, your 2.9 could have actually actually ended up being a four because it's hitting you in the right places. Dyslexic would have been identified earlier. You should have been able to, you know, thrive. I'm surprised that people didn't notice you switching the letters because well, people in education should have picked up on that.
1: There were breadcrumbs. I mean, I can think back now. I remember a teacher or two saying something about that. Mm-hmm. But I think the other thing that was part of the problem is I was a good kid. You oh know? yeah, I was quiet. I was good, and so because I wasn't causing any trouble, it was like okay, just you know, move them on through. Mm-hmm. But I, well, I'll add something too to everything you just said, and that is um, trauma has a lot to do with mm-hmm. all this stuff too. I agree. And that I think there's a lot of really successful people that if we studied them, we would find that part of it is overcompensating uh, trauma. I to give an example for myself. If you look at my LinkedIn profile and you're like, you look at look at it, go, oh my gosh, this guy's really successful, and in a kind of secular how we look at the world way, you, mm-hmm. know, I, you know, I guess that's true. What I had to learn, and I learned this in my 40s, was is that my addiction as an adult 20s, 30s, and 40s was success. And what I mean by that is that I had no comprehension or skill set of how to feel my feelings, and so when something traumatic would happen to me, instead of like sitting in that and being sad and crying and processing, I would just go after another deal or another mm-hmm. promotion. And so when you're looking at my LinkedIn profile, part of what you're looking at is an addict, right? And so I've gone through all kinds of level of recovery. I use a lot of recovery language. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I, I was not addicted to drugs or anything like that. And I know a lot of people that have come through that have so much wisdom to share and they've helped me, but it was a, it was a addiction to success.
0: Everybody has that. Yeah. Well, I don't know. That everybody has that. I but. really do believe that whether it's working out or playing games or cooking or eating or success. I mean, we're all seeking something in life that's affirming as to who we are and maybe what our purpose is. You're extremely high IQ in the sense of emotional and self-awareness. I would put you over there in that category because, you know, you shared in this I don't know, 20 minutes, Mm -hmm. so much about yourself. And I went, wow, you have learned a lot about yourself and you really recognize, um, your strengths, your, your challenges, you've persevered through those. You're willing to share those. So, you know, that vulnerable little box, you're checking it (laughs) for sure. That's good. Yeah. Because I think that a lot of our listeners are going to be able to identify no matter where they are in that generation of their, their life and their growth.
1: Well, it's, it's like one of the things that you'll hear me talk a lot about is the subject of suicide. And mm. when I talk about suicide, you know, we can look at Anthony Bourdain mm-hmm. or Kate Spade or Robin Williams yeah. or, um, Aaron Hernandez. I mean, I go on and on and on it's shocking. It is the shocking, the number it's like, I remember I was, I was working on the suicide walk a couple of weeks ago, raising awareness on suicide prevention. I just started Googling celebrities commit suicide and it's like, the list goes, it's endless and it, and it's every category. They all look beautiful and they're perfect looking and they ended their own lives. Like, mm-hmm. how did this happen? And so that's the, that's the thing I keep trying to look through. Um, When the great recession happened,
0: mm-hmm. five
1: different men I knew in real estate committed suicide. No. Mm-hmm. In Orlando. Like locally. Locally, local, local wow. people. And so <laughs> that really hit me hard. And then uh, several years ago, I lost a dear friend of mine to suicide. And it, it, it was like, Oh, I mean that it, it, we, it
0: feels like a punch, a punch in the face, right?
1: Oh, well, and I was, it was somebody I was mentoring on top of that. And Oh my goodness. I'll tell you this quick story about him. He was a huge Superman fan. Mm-hmm. And so if you know, in the Superman movie, uh, Superman dies and Batman at his funeral says, I failed you in life. I will not fail you in death. Mm. And so every year on his birthday, I post that on his Facebook page. Mm-hmm. I failed you in life. I will not fail you in death. And the first time I posted it, a bunch of people were like, "John, John, it's okay. You didn't really fail him." And I'm like, "Look, don't freak out. <laughs> I, what I'm saying is, is that when that happened, I did not have the skill set to help him.
0: Mm-hmm. Like, like
1: he was suffering in a way I, I didn't know. Mm-hmm. And what I'm trying to say is now." I can onboard those skills and try to be helpful to other people, mm-hmm. right? But but what I'm saying is that we see these people who will check the boxes of success and then end their life. And so you're around a lot of great young minds. And mm-hmm. some of these people that you're coaching and leading, um, they're gonna do exceptional things. Some of them are gonna do exceptional things, but they're still hurt. They're mm-hmm. still that, that wound. And so trying to help them find that path. The other thing I'll say just to jump on this real quick is when people are super successful monetarily specifically, there are a lot of people around them who don't want them to get healing because they're making money, mm-hmm. right? And I would argue that maybe the people around Michael Jackson or Prince or mm-hmm. some other business people I've seen that I know, I mean, in my the personal examples, I can think of people around them knew this person was really suffering but it was in their financial best interest to help them stop.
0: Yeah. People will often think that money is, will solve a lot of problems and it can, it can, you know, give stability. That's for sure. Sure, sure. But it does not make you happy. You know, my mother, um, she died of leukemia Mm. and it was four rounds of going through the chemo. My brother and I, we, we watched her go through this. And I know I would stay in the hospital with her, you know, every night during that time frame, because she was afraid to be by herself. She was sure. afraid to die, honestly. I know that was part of what was going on there. And in retrospect, both my brother and I, we just went, no, we, we would not want to go through that because for me, I'm at peace. I know where right. I'm going. I, I know who my, my God is. So no worries there. But on the same hand, um, I think that there's a lot of people that are lost whether it's, you know, faith-based or lost because they're caught up in what this world is or what somebody else is expecting of them. I mean, you're describing so much pain, truly yeah. really pain in the world.
1: You know, it's, it's, um, fascinating. I, I have, uh, I've been to a lot of funerals. Um, and part of that's getting older, you know, uh, when you have the generation above you and you lose people and just in the work I do, um, because I interact with people a lot, I, I see different loss. I've lost uh, probably six different men who I was in development groups with who passed away with hospice Mm. and all six of those guys, it was very, very peaceful. And, you know, when you're sitting with somebody with hospice and they're just wearing what they're sleeping in, Mm -hmm. maybe they have like a bracelet on or something and this is it. And then you really, and every, oh my gosh, every single time I have looked at these men and said, is there anything you want? Is there anything I could do for you? Mm-hmm. And I'm always thinking maybe sometimes I go like, Can I have your watch? You know, mm-hmm. something like that. They never, never do. The only one was funny, my uncle. He um he said, No, nothing. And then he went to the restroom and then he came back and he said, Could you check on your aunt more? And mm-hmm. I said, Sure. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I check on Aunt Sandy very regularly because mm-hmm. he asked me to do that, right? Mm-hmm. But that's just context. Now the flip side is that people will say, you know, nobody under deathbed wish they worked more or whatever. Yeah. That's also false. And, I, and I'll tell you why. There are many, many, many people that die alone. And part of the reason why they die alone is that the people that are related to them have to work. Right. Mm-hmm. So there is a balance. There is absolute importance in working hard and being good stewards with your money mm-hmm. and helping your family. And then also having good context of relationships and things like that. Like mm-hmm. they're, they're, it's a balance of both.
0: Yeah. I was going to say balance. Balance sure. of both for sure. Yeah.
1: And so let me say this I got the, American Diabetes Association, father of the year award. And then it, you know, use as a dad, give a speech and your kids speak. And it's all cool. But one of the things I said that I think no one in the room really understood what I was saying was I said, I want my daughters to know that when I'm gone and they look back at me, they're going to realize that I made a bunch of mistakes mm-hmm. and I want them to know they have my blessing to be angry with me. Mm-hmm right yeah that's good And that that they can acknowledge like man dad was terrible at that and that's okay they don't have to feel guilty about acknowledging yeah that, right and that's where you can have real love of people you know when i talk about civil rights work i always say use that the line i think it was malcolm x that said it but it's like un it, untreated wounds don't heal mm-hmm. right you know so you can't just be like let's just not talk about these things from the past it doesn't make them go away of course talking about them doesn't mean we have to Relive them and they're awful. Mm-hmm. Talking about them is the ability to then move past it. So, if you and I had a mutual friend that was a survivor of being sold in the sex slave business, mm-hmm. and we really cared about that person, one of the ways we can help them heal is listen to their story.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. I know
1: about you, I don't want to hear that story. That's a terrible story. It's awful. But if we care about that person, you we push listen, it aside. Yeah, and you listen. Yeah, yeah. You listen to the story so that they can help get their life back. Mm-hmm. Right it's a very hard thing. It's mm-hmm. a very hard thing. It is.
0: Well, let's talk about your other businesses that you have now. Sure. So how did you, which one was your first one that you started? How did you get to, you have, I know, Crossman Conversations, that's your podcast, that's new. You also have Crossman Career Builders, which I think has been around for, I don't know, it's 2017, maybe somewhere around there. Yes, and yes. then you also have Crossmark Services, but you had some other businesses before sure, to get sure. you where you are now. Yeah. So
1: I, I have a lot of my background that's, you know, kind of traditional, uh, we would say business. You are know, you
0: commercial real estate? All, or commercial, resi- all okay. commercial. Yeah. That's where know. the I money is.
1: Well, I don't know. That's where the money, a lot of money is in the There's really money anywhere real estate, if you work hard at it, but I, I just don't know anything about residential. Um, here's what I would tell you is, is that, um, in 2019, I sold my company. And the, the main push on that was both my mom and my wife were having some very serious health issues and I have two teenage daughters. And so I really needed to do like a reboot of my mm-hmm. life and try to figure out what I was doing. So during that season, I mean, I was like really trying to figure life out, what's going on. And both my wife and my mom at different points said, you know, you don't have to be here all the time, which mm-hmm. is a nice way of saying it out. <laughs> so who I went and met with was Al Weiss, who's a former CEO of Disney, or mm-hmm. Central Florida guy. And I said, look, here's what's going on. What do you recommend? And he said that I should hire a transitions coach. I had no idea what that meant, mm-hmm. but I hired the same company that he did when he left Disney. And so, you know, it's kind of pricey and it's a ton of time and they do all these different psychological things, all these tests and they go through all this stuff. And at the end of it, they give you this book on you, which is kind of fun. And one of the things they do is they match you with jobs, right? Mm-hmm. And so they're like, I'm not making this up. As a florist, I scored a 27, that's an F. Mm-hmm. As an architect, I scored a negative 32. Okay. Like, like <laughs> that's bad, you know? So, my top four jobs number four was um, like a, a counselor consultant.
0: Oh, I would have picked that right off the bat. There
1: you go. Number three was politician. Number two was real estate executive. And number one was pastor. And I just decided that moment that's what I'm going to be. I'm going to be those four things. And mm-hmm. I'm just going to do those as they, as they come at me and then the other thing was they have this like graph the chart thing and they have like this bullseye is like traditional ceo and then bullseye is like coo mm-hmm. and then and when i tested i tested in the ceo box but right kind of on the line kind of mm-hmm. close and when the guy was sharing this with me i felt like he was nervous like i was gonna get mad and be like mm-hmm. no i'm a bullseye ceo and i didn't feel that way I actually i felt really relieved and i felt like oh okay like well, i i'm non-traditional right And that's where I kind of, um, you know, that point was really starting to embrace my entrepreneurship ness, because while I could help some companies in some ways, uh, if I was working there, um, it doesn't totally fit with who I am. And I had to make people crazy. Mm -hmm. The other thing I would say that I learned that process is that I have a good skill set at the implementation of innovation. Mm, Okay. Yes. So if a person is like, Hey, I want to change. I can help them. If a nonprofit's like, hey, I want to change, I can help them. Mm -hmm. If a corporation wants to change, I can help them or a real estate project. But if they don't want to change, it's a disaster. Oh, yeah. So FAMU College of Law, historically black college located in downtown Orlando, uh, one of six uh, law schools, black law schools in America, they graduate more black lawyers than all the other state law schools combined every semester.
0: Mm. Uh, yeah.
1: So when they came to me and asked me to be their uh, chairman of their dean's advisory council, You know, you think that's kind of crazy because I'm not a lawyer and I'm white, but they were going through some stuff. They needed some transition. And so that was a great, great match, like nonprofit that wanted to change. Mm -hmm. And so that worked out really well. So um, today I have a company called Crossmark Services Mm -hmm. that is a real estate company. Our primary role is investing in real estate. We do some advisory work, some brokerage work, but all kind of revolves around investing. Mm-hmm. I'm on in a property. I have two different properties under contract right now. And I'm working on a development piece as well. So that's where I make money and do my thing. I, I work part-time and I'm, I'm not full-time cranking it, but that's my world. Then so I,
0: why M-A-R-C instead of M-A-R-K?
1: That is my partner's children's initials. Gotcha. So okay. I have a business partner. And he and I work on it together. So that's that's what that is. And it's funny because we have all these ownership entities and they all kind of have that same name in them. So that's a combination. Mm-hmm. Then I have um, Crossman Career Builders. Crossman Career Builders is, is what my books are under.
0: Right. So you gifted me with one. I, t- I know nobody can see it, but here I'm showing up for the overhead view. There we <laughs> <laughs> go.
1: So I have that book. And then um, my mom's two books are underneath that. Wait, oh. she has
0: two? She has I thought two. it was just one.
1: No, she has a book of poetry called New Day okay as a side note um she wrote that in the 60s and 70s as a gift to her last year i republished it for her we added in there a poem she wrote about dr king's funeral she was at dr king's funeral oh and, yeah it's a really it's a great poem so that's cool so I have those books and i have two more books in the queue um so all those books are come across from career builders i also have 10 endowed scholarships at seven universities those are all underneath Cross Career Cross Cross is a for-profit company mm-hmm. that, I, that I own by myself, but it really is kind of a break even at best. You know, I do some consulting out of that. I do some guest lecturing out of that. I, you know, if COVID hadn't happened, I may have ramped more into that because mm-hmm. I mean, more public speaking, there's that. The third company, which I, uh, I've just started, I hadn't told you about this yet, but it relates is it's, it's the Crossman Foundation, which is my nonprofit. Nice. The Crossman Conversation is going to move underneath that. Okay. And so that way, when people sponsor that radio show podcast, it's a, it's a charitable donation. So on the Crossman conversation the Crossman foundation, that's where I'm really trying to raise awareness on issues on race, addiction, mental health, and, and suicide prevention. Mm. So you'll hear me talk a lot about historically black colleges and the work I do there. That's all within that. So Mm -hmm. it's really three things. And so real estate where I make my money, but I don't, I have very few clients. It's in a very few partners. I don't really promote that that much, but Mm -hmm. Cross and Cribble is broad, you know, the books Mm -hmm. and all that. And then the foundation is broad and and trying to make its impact and to the world.
0: Um, This second book that your mother's written, because obviously there's writing, was your mom also a a teacher by chance?
1: She was not. I mean, she, you know um, my parents got married young and then had kids young and Mm -hmm. there was four of us. So she was really doing that, but, but she was always a writer. And Mm -hmm. in fact, her mother, who passed away very young um uh had written poetry we added one of those poems to the mm. book as well but my mom's always been a writer she's 83 she loves it when I bring that up um she's still writing your and, mom looks
0: great too. Oh, I saw you. her picture thank you I appreciate but she it. looks great
1: she um so about nine years ago she'd written this novel and um I kept sort of just pushing it out of her in that she didn't wasn't really ready to share it with the world but um it's historic fiction and so she had a friend who was um he was like a history buff history teacher or something that is it
0: by chance related to a land remembered no no but it's similar in the like that type of a genre yeah same genre it was historical land remembered was you know truly a book about florida and how the people at that time frame late 1800s were transversing across the Mm i-4 across the state and what that was like and it's a little reminiscent of like laura engels wilder's books and Anything, if you grew up with the Waltons, it's going to be like that. And I'm thinking your mom's book is something in that type of yeah. It's a storytelling.
1: Thing. It's in the 1880s, and so it's a story. So the story is not true, but the, all the different places they visit and what's going around them is historically, um, you know, accurate. Accurate from that mm-hmm. from that perspective. So she had this person who was a history person, read the book, really liked it, and so I just kept pushing her, you know, like mom, you know, like let's let's get it published, get it out there. And one of the things is about you know my parents didn't inherit anything. And I don't, that's not something I, I need or want from them. But I do think that there's some things that I like, like photos, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you have a great family photo, it doesn't mean like one person gets it. You can make a copy. Everybody has the photo. Mm-hmm. So to me, it's the same thing with my mom's books. You know, she would be like, well, we can just have a few copies made. I'm like, mom, look, if you get it on Amazon, everybody forever can have as many copies as want. she can
0: actually make the funds that are come out of there go towards some cause that she's sure. super passionate about yeah
1: absolutely so um, that's been to, in my mind part of the book process it's been a gift to my siblings and their kids and their grandkids that they all have as many copies as they ever want to get access to it so that's been fun mm-hmm. and I think it's been good for her you know she works in the book doesn't work in the book and then gets to push into it. So it's been very cool.
0: What I like about that too, is uh, I would go to my, my parents, my grandparents and say, so tell me the stories of when we were kids. I, I want to hear them. And I'd love it if you would record them into some type of an audio file so I can go back and listen to them. And so when I call my dad, he's in Oklahoma and, you know, it's usually about every week, but sometimes it's every other week. I go, okay, tell me another story. And I, I find that precious. So I think that her writing this story is something that should have a lot of meaning to everybody in your family, because they, they will remember her that way because there's actual physical, tangible books (laughs) that you can go and pull from and say, yeah, that was my grandmother or my great grandmother or my mom or, you know, my sister, whatever. I would say
1: yes. And, and, and it's messy. It's, it is messy. Sure. Um, I had dinner, um, with Marlene the third one time and, uh, we, you know, obviously it's very different with him, but there is a context of when you have parents who have done thing things, civil rights and things like that. There's a cost. There's a cost to the family. People yep. don't always can make that connection, but there is. But when my mom, um, you know, when she had her book of poetry, and then somebody I know was reading some of the poems, and they're like, "John, you should have somebody come read all these and record all these." And I said, "Listen, I appreciate that you enjoy my mom's poetry. You got to understand that some of those poems, many of those poems." You're reading and appreciation of the words. You're reading and appreciation the historic context. I'm hearing my mother's pain, mm-hmm. so that's not necessarily enjoyable to me. Mm-hmm. Now, for you know my my grandchildren who will never meet my mom, right? They'll have a different perspective. They'll have a different perspective, yeah. and so there's a generation removed, right? Yeah. So do you know my mother? My my grandfather, my grandfather Crossman, was born in the 1800s, right? So you think about that perspective. Mm-hmm. My mom's grandmother who helped raise her was born almost the same year as Custer's last stand. Holy cow. So if you think about if we had those people interviewed or whatever, you know, like think about the perspective, but we also know that, man, all that stuff's messy and hurtful and things Mm -hmm. like that. So I'm really glad that I did it. Um, I'm really glad for the context of it. At the same time, am I totally ready to break down every line and every poem and every chapter of that book with my mom? Probably not. And, and she's probably not either, but, but that's okay. Right. Mm-hmm. That's okay. I, I had the vision for what I wanted to do, which was a gift to future generation a gift to her, obviously honoring my mother, mm-hmm. but also those future
0: generations, which is pretty cool. Mm. We're going to take a moment just to acknowledge our sponsor. So thank you. Cat five studios. The intern whisperer is brought to you by cat five studios who help you create games and videos for your training and marketing needs that are out of this world. Visit Cat5Studios for more information to learn how Cat5Studios can help your business. Thank you, Cat5Studios. And we are back to our show. So, um... A reminder to all of our guests, this is John Crossman. I want to say thank you for being here on the show. We're going to switch gears and go and look at the future of what do you think 2030 is going to look like with real estate, because you have an interest in there, in education, and also, if you want, we can throw you know radio and nonprofit, everything that you were talking about in the first half of the show but we'll start with the impact that COVID has had on business. It totally changed how we went to school, how we worshiped, how we would grocery shop, how we did anything, right? Because mm-hmm. now everybody was essentially a, a prisoner in their home for a little while. Right.
1: I, you know, here's the first observation I'll make. I was in college when um, the AIDS epidemic was really rampant mm-hmm. up and, and you would hear about Arthur Ashe or magic Johnson. It was like almost like every day you'd hear this different thing. And it, you know, it was crazy and it was scary. And I took a biology class and the biology class was divided into four sections and the class had 1500 students. And so one was on section was human anatomy, and another section, and then one had, higher section was on AIDS. Mm-hmm. And the professor taught us, and this is around 1990, 91, where it was that AIDS would become the number one killer of heterosexual men in the next five years. Mm. I remember that was like a test question. And I remember thinking at that age, 19 year old John Crossman was like, there's no way this is true. Mm-hmm. And I also remember thinking, you know, we need then to focus our AIDS education resources on the most vulnerable community communities. Yes. Now, going forward, I think that one of the things that's come out of this, we'll keep coming out of this, that since the dawn of man till today technology has always been a thing, right? Technology mm-hmm. always, and that changes things, changes warfare, changes business, changes structure. And so we always need to be investing in technology. We need to always be investing in communication.
0: Mm-hmm. Like that's
1: always important. thing. Mm-hmm. All that said, um, we are pack animals, man. We, we were not meant to be alone. We we're not meant to be Yeah, we're meant up. for
0: relationships.
1: We're meant for relationships. We're meant to be an eye to eye. We're meant to be talking to people. And I think that is a huge, huge thing that's come out of this. So what does that mean? Well, you know, I, I, to me, it's like, it means a lot of things, but you know, when, when radio came out, you know, it was supposed to be the death of live stage. Right. And then movies came out to kill radio and TV came to kill movies. And then we keep going. Well, you know, pre pandemic, how was Hamilton doing? Pretty oh, great.
0: Yeah. Pretty great.
1: You know, that's five things away. Like yeah. you know, that was supposed to be dead a hundred years ago. Right. So I keep coming back to, we have a need for human connectivity we i think we have a need for um passion and excellence and i think a lot of things we see throughout society become very mediocre or stale or kind of heartless and so when people are able to step in that and do things well mm-hmm. they're going to do well right so you know i think that a lot of times people people get divorced too fast sometimes oh yeah you know
0: <laughs> they don't <laughs> like, want to do the work right
1: you know i always see people get married when they have young babies i'm always like life gets better having young babies is really hard life gets better i think that when you um uh, have a small business it's really hard like
0: oh this is not for babies either <coughs> having right. a business is like you know they say oh you're it's your baby no it's not
1: yeah <laughs> it's really hard and so what i just come back to say is that i think that for people who are achievers yeah. you know uh, they can make great things happen mm-hmm. um you know, I look at churches, for example, and you know, if you want to have a great worship service, you can pull up your phone and play great music or you can hear a great. you pull up Annie Stanley, Rick Warren anywhere you want, right mm-hmm. But what you can't do is this is mm-hmm. connectivity. And so the importance of visiting people in the hospital, the importance of visiting people in prison, mm-hmm. the important and visiting people who are in crisis. And sometimes it's just sitting with people not saying anything. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's just hugging people. So, you know,
0: people need seven touches a day, and that just means like somebody's hand on another hand, feeling the warmth of that hand on somebody, it just transforms somebody's whole energy on the inside of them.
1: That's absolutely correct. And I had a friend of mine whose dad was in um, an assisted living facility in his nineties. And the assistant- How often are they hugged? Well, so during the pandemic, they were told they can't come see him. He started doing really bad. And so they just ended up saying like, we're going to, we're going to force away and then we're going to hug him. Now, thankful he never got COVID and he got better. Yeah, Right. And again, there's a trade-off at some point it's like, well, maybe just let him get COVID because it'd be better if he have COVID in the past, then li- than go- he's going to leave at some point soon anyway. He's in yeah. 90s. Right. So I think that to me, that's like going back to what's the real message. What's the real lesson of mm-hmm. all this. It's the importance of community. It's important relationships, the importance of those mental health issues. And, you know, Mental health is not mental illness, right? Like mental health is just like human health, like practicing good, healthy things and making sure we're doing them in healthy ways, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So those are sort of my quick, big things. I I think as far as job goes, I will tell you that I come into my office every day. Um, A
0: physical office, I come to my physical office every day.
1: I also have a really cool at-home office, which I use a lot too. But I will tell you like, there's a lot, nothing beats being you know in person like it just doesn't agree and and i'll tell you this it's like um it's like um conferences right Mm -hmm. like to me like you know i've been to different kind of things on zoom and it's good there's some good things happen there but there's nothing like being face-to-face even like if you're on a board and then you have a break between and you get to just talk to somebody about their kids or whatever um there there have been some boards i sit on that it's just not the same until we get to a really meeting regularly Mm face-to-face relationships just aren't there. I just, I've seen that so much and there's an importance of it. So I'm thankful that we live in a time and I think we'll continue to be in time where people can have flexibility. I know some people just might want to listen. I look, I, I could argue really hard. It'd be really nice to stay in my pajamas every single day, but it's not good for me. Right. Mm-hmm. I like, I like to eat donuts every single day too. That's not good for me. Right. So there's a, there's a point of just pushing yourself to something that's what you don't want to do, but it's the right thing to do to, for, to be healthy.
0: hmm Agreed, agreed. And it also goes into um, just social, being able to have social skills and develop those. I think that when people become more isolated, they they become more stressed out over, oh my gosh, I've got to go talk to people. There's no rewind. There's no edit. I have to be able to say something and then people are going to judge me on whatever it is that I said, all of those things. Yet, if we get out there and we just Have regular conversations with people. It's it's going to be okay.
1: Well, I when my girls were younger, we would go to Publix together, and I'd say, "Okay, we're going to grocery shopping, and here's the thing: you need to go find these five items for me." Mm -hmm. Well, Dad, I don't know where this is. We'll go find it. Go find it. Well, Dad, I can't find it. I'm like, "Do you see that guy over there with the green shirt on? Like, go ask him." What? You know? Yeah. And then I would have them call and make dinner reservations, or call and order food, or. I remember traveling one time, we needed to get a hotel room. And so I have a one dollar on speakerphone, you know, make the hotel reservation. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, I mean, I knew that the world was going to teach them how to deal with technology. And of course, they're great at that, but really leaning in, in that that personal humanity. You know, that's
0: a valuable skill that you were teaching them. I remember my parents, my mother had taught all of us to be able to cook. My father made us all go out there and we, my brothers, I have two brothers. uh, They were able to change the oil in the car, change the tires, all that. My dad would sit there and say, you're going to hand me tools and you're going to learn them. And it was really a good thing. I was 12 going, why do I have to hand you a socket wrench, you know, Mm -hmm. or, or a Phillips screwdriver, but I learned the names of those things. And I would go into a mechanics store and I would be right and the mechanic was wrong twice. And they went, yeah, but you're a woman and how did you know this and I went. Well, first off, that's not appropriate to say, but secondly, my dad and my brothers, they taught me this stuff. So yeah, I do know these things.
1: Well, I'll tell you what, uh, all that, and I'd say um, being able to fix a toilet, like Mm -hmm. I can fix a toilet really well. And Mm -hmm. like, that is something that most, do you
0: think millennials and Gen Z's know that? I don't, I I, they order their food (laughs) and it's brought to them.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So I think that, but those are, again, I think that, well, let me say this. I've guest lectured at colleges for, for 25 years. And in the last three years, students have really amazed me with their increased mental health skills. Mm -hmm. And there's some things that millennials and um, Gen Z Z are better at. They're better at.
0: Oh, technology. Woo, They can run circles around many of us.
1: Yeah, I'd say technology, but I also be able to express their feelings. I'll give you a great example. I Mm -hmm. gave a lecture at FSU. When I got done, a student walked up to me and she said, thank you for your humanity. Mm-hmm. It was a very interesting compliment. So later that day, I saw a friend of mine who's a retired bank president. And I told her, I said, yeah, the student came up and said, thank you for humanity. She looked at me and she goes, what in the hell did that mean? <laughs> and I thought that is really funny. Like, like that that's a generational gap. Yeah, right? it is. you know, I knew what the student meant. I do too. But that 60 plus year old bank president did not know. Right? Yeah. So there are things that they they're good at and they can teach us. Uh, but then there's other things that they need to keep working on too. Oh yeah. Yeah. Confidence.
0: Oh yeah. That's a good one. It's it's funny.
1: I was university of Florida. I was lecturing at a graduate school program thing. Mm -hmm. Most of these kids, you know, never ended up being in their life. And a ton of them were getting second master's degree or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I described the biggest problem I saw them facing one word, it was fear. Mm -hmm. I mean, my gosh, they're just terrified. They're terrified to send an email and ask somebody for coffee or mm-hmm. send an email and ask the job shadow. All the time. I tell these students, like, here's all these things I, I think are important for you to do. What of them is I'll like connect to me on LinkedIn. I'll say, follow my company, LinkedIn, connect to me on LinkedIn, talk about the importance of handwritten notes. And my friends would always be like, John, do you get like hundreds of letters? Do you have all these kids reach out to am like, Nope. You know, mm-hmm. like, it doesn't matter what I say about 4% doing mm-hmm. about 4%. Yeah.
0: yeah. And how many of them will see the value of what LinkedIn is, is it is not the same as any other social channels where right. you're, you're just, there is a little bit of crossover I've seen in LinkedIn where, you know, people are doing things that are also on TikTok or on, right. you know, Instagram and Facebook, but for the most part, it stays pretty true to that professional mm-hmm. definition of what we're supposed to behave in the world they, they don't get that sometimes they go, well, you know, I want to be on this social channel and this, I go, but well,
1: I look, I, a lot of times I will tell students that I'll post something on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. But if you see the same post, it's written differently.
0: Mm -hmm. It's written differently. Mm -hmm.
1: And so different audiences, different audience, and and, and it could be the same thing. It's just twisted differently. But Mm -hmm. I always think, you know, your LinkedIn page is like, it's, it's your brand. It's your, it's your storefront. Right. And so trying to take the time to make sure if somebody comes across that and they know who they're dealing with and it doesn't, you don't have to get on every personal issue. I don't talk mm-hmm. about every personal issue, mm-hmm. but what I do talk about is again, in the context of business. And so that somebody understands who I am and what I'm all about. Well, let me, let me say this. I, I always tell college students when lecture, I always say this, my closing thing is always the day you graduate from your college,
0: mm-hmm.
1: send an email to the president and say, dear president yeah whoever, whoever insert thank you for having me at this great institution i'm graduating i would like to thank the following people mm-hmm. and then list out all the presidents yeah, uh, the professors, professors faculty whoever could be an ra could be yeah. coach whatever list them all out and then say as i'm graduating i'm joining the alumni association and please let me know how i can help you right mm-hmm. so when you hit send in an email copy all those people copy mm-hmm. all those people and here's the thing when the people get copied on the email they will cry yes they will they will print it out and the day they die and they're cleaning out the person's desk they're going to find that now it's crazy true story if you look inside the book curriculars career builders i dedicated in part to my high school teacher dr les coslow who was Mm -hmm. my most influential high school teacher dr coslow passed away about a year and a half ago in a motorcycle accident. Oh, that's sad. And so they didn't have the funeral until last April. And so when they did, his widow contacted me and asked me to come speak. So I went and spoke at Dr. Paslow's funeral. Mm -hmm. A few months later, his wife contacted me. Mm -hmm. Now check this out. She was cleaning out his desk, found a handwritten note from me Mm -hmm. from 1995. Wow. Thanking him all those years. All those years, up until 2020,
0: mm-hmm.
1: it had been in his desk, right? I'd forgotten that. I didn't remember that when I said, but I, but I tell students, I'm like, you don't understand the power you have. And so think about, like, here's another one for you. I was um, on, a, on, on a board for FAMU, and the president asked a group of us, like, hey, these legislators have done a really great job. They've been of FAMU. Can you write them all handwritten notes? Sure. I didn't know these legislators. I couldn't tell you the person's name today. But I got a little card, wrote a handwritten note. Thanks for supporting fam. You really appreciate it. Please don't do it for you. John Crossman sent him. A few months later, a friend of mine is a lobbyist. He was in the state rep's office and he saw my note tacked to the wall. Right. tacked to the wall. And so I tell students like, How, why would that be? Because when you're a politician or you're a CEO or you're a college president, you get complaint, complaint, complaint. Mm-hmm. And when someone takes the time mm-hmm. to say something like that, and so to your comment, yeah. it's not too late. Somebody listening to this right now, who is 24 years old. They can write a letter to their middle school teacher. They can write a letter to high school. They can write a letter to the parent. They can do it right now. Mm-hmm. My oldest daughter is 18 and she graduates from high school this May. And we're going to do a fun, you know, party for and something like that. And so I told her, I said, you know, we can do this party. and You can invite anybody you want. I mm-hmm. said, who do you want to invite? She mentioned her kindergarten teacher. Who we're oh, still in touch with how sweet yeah and she mentioned her french teacher from middle school and i told her i was like sweetie invite them invite yeah. them and you you know even if they don't come the fact that they get that invitation oh yeah that at 18 years old and it's 12th grade she's looking back at kindergarten and says i remember miss Ducerelli. she was impactful in my life i want to make sure i, I have
0: those you. stories right and it means everything everything yeah
1: it means everything and that's humanity that's mm-hmm. humanity. That's what we're talking about. yeah, and I think when people know that and they feel that, and and look, that translates into a church. It translates into a school, It translates to a company. Like mm-hmm. imagine if you're running a business and you 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 exude that out of you. People want to do business with you.
0: I will tell you, I have four people that have stayed on this journey with me to launch employers for change. And one is on the software side, and the other three are over on my game. I do not take this lightly. They have stayed on this journey with me and they, without being paid, Mm. (laughs) except for the software developer, he got paid in the last year finally. But the, the thing is they, I said, why are you still here? You guys could go anywhere. You have enough years of experience. You could get a job and they go, no, we believe in you. We believe in what you're doing. And we're here with you for this, how long it takes. Well, that payoff for them is going to be really big because they're going to get equity in this company. And and they aren't even, they don't even know what it is yet. Right. Sure. And it's, I take that very seriously. I have people that intern with me and they write me these notes and they put those recommendations on my LinkedIn. And it's the same thing for me. It's very meaningful. It's very impactful because I invest in them because I know they're investing in here. So it's a mutual exchange of, of uh, energy of knowledge for sure. And, um, just the gift of presence. I would say,
1: I would say too, you know, we talked a little bit about, um, anger. One of the things that gets me angry is people who I've helped out.
0: Mm-hmm. And then
1: I see them not helping out other people. Mm-hmm. And then if some people I help out and they always acknowledge it, like they're, and I, and I try to do it. With the people that help me out. And then some people don't acknowledge it at all. Mm-hmm. And I don't ever you know, wish for bad things on them or anything no. like that. Nothing like that. But again, what did I say? Charity mm-hmm. has an end. Mm-hmm. It just does. It doesn't work that way. It just it it ends. And so if I feel like man, I've I've helped this person, and then it's just not ever. I just stop it mm-hmm. because there's other people in need. Sure. Right. There, yeah. It has and, to be. Um, it just ends. And I think that also those people miss uh, the blessing of of yeah. being in in relationships and in life with Big L.
0: Well, we are at the end of our show. We've gone all over, but just so you know, anything that goes over, it goes into this outtake side and it continues to play out there. The editing team, they'll, they'll make it sound more cohesive, but cool. it will be over there in the outtake. So how can our listeners find you? Um, I I'm sharing your LinkedIn profile, but I'm going to let you share whatever you want them well, sure. to engage with you.
1: Crossmancb.com on the website, CrossmarkServices.com, website. There's both those websites. Uh, Crossmark Services, Crossman Career Builders is on LinkedIn and Facebook, mm-hmm. right? And then I'm on LinkedIn and Facebook personally. Anybody can follow me or connect mm-hmm. to me. I'm also on Instagram if you want to see pictures of my dog.
0: Ooh, um, what kind of a dog?
1: Great Dane. Her name's Pepper. She's Love a, those dogs. She, she's a sweetie pie. And I'm also on Twitter. So you know, I am very accessible. Somebody wants to find me, they they absolutely find me. And if they message me, I will message them back for sure. Mm-hmm. So they're welcome to
0: very good well i want to thank you for sharing that and i'm going to take a moment to share um, thank you to our sponsor cat5 studios to our production team our video interns chase McDowell, david olman efren Cuevas, and keisha keisha perez music is by sophie lloyd and sound effects are eric peterson matt miller dave francis and miguel Sintra. we would love to have your inclusion tip of the week shared on our show so be sure to record it in your voice send an audio file to info at internpursuit.tech T-E-C-H, and include your name job role and where you work and we will email you our intern pursuit game backgrounds for your next video conference call and have your voice be heard on our radio so thank you john i really want to say this has been a blast I'm it's been long overdue. I've been, you know, a fan of yours. You just didn't know it (laughs) Been following stuff that you put out there. And I went, oh, this man is a really, he's got lots of wisdom to share. So thank you very much. My pleasure. Thank you.